Today we'll be debating the best movies of 1982, and we'll be discussing being allergic to meat. This is Doctor versus Comedian. I'm Dr. Asim Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, Ali and I will debate which are the best movies from 1982. And we will discuss being allergic to meat? Question mark? You are suspicious, it seems. I know nothing about this story, as is my way, so you will... Enlighten us, I'm sure. But first, some very contentious stuff here. I know how you get when somebody doesn't agree with you. There's a lot of like, what? You're Mm -hmm. a loser. So that might be happening. 1982, how old were you, Asif? It would have been eight years old. 1982 was eight years old, yep. Yeah. So I was a little older, a little more mature. Well, yeah, maybe that will be evidenced by our movie choices. Okay, so what I thought we would do is we would each make a top 10 list from 1982, and we would just take turns going up the list. I start at 10, or you start at 10, I go to 10, and then 9 and 9, and we'll just kind of discuss what we thought were the best movies. Now, I guess a couple caveats. This is... I think it's more, for me anyway, I did it as my favorite movies. So I'm not saying this was the best crafted movie of that year. I'm just saying it's the one that resonates the most with me, first of all. The difference is that I only like movies that are well-crafted. No, that does, that's not true. No, it's a big mishmash here, too. Now, are you saying 10 is your least favorite of your favorites and number one is your favorite? Correct. Or how are you doing that? Oh, that's not, that's uh, too crazy. That's too difficult. What do you mean? Oh, that's difficult. Okay, because there's like seven, well, no, seven of them are tied for first place. They're so phenomenal. Well, you know, sometimes you have to choose between your children, so you're going to have to uh, do that. My youngest? (laughs) No. That was quick. remember, that's why. Okay, so the other thing is there are a couple movies that we probably don't won't get a chance to talk about that came out. This is how crazy 1982 was. A lot of people say it's one of the best years for movie releases ever in the history of, of movies. So here's ones that I don't think we will talk about, but so they don't even make our list, but they're also amazing movies. The Road Warrior, which is the sequel to Mad Max. Number two, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, number one was phenomenal. I mean, I really, something completely otherworldly and like, you know, in that time. Look, some of these things, you know, if you watch them now for the first time, you can't appreciate them in the same way. There's just no way. But understanding what existed at the time and then this insane world that they created amazing and it's only because it's number two that i would not on my list and some people the first exposure to the mad max world was with the road warrior they didn't actually know because the mad max was a bit bigger in australia and then kind of the road warrior was the bigger one in in north america but you know you raise a good point people think star wars blockbusters but what star wars actually did was it opened up the possibilities to all different kinds of of fantasy sci-fi movies it wasn't just clones of star wars that came out there were things like that but and so you see things like the road warrior another one is the dark crystal 
The Dark Crystal was like a, a fantasy movie all done with puppetry in Jim Henson's Creature Shop or whatever. So that was another one, another seminal movie from that year. Other ones that came out that year, Pink Floyd, The Wall, the documentary, The World According to Garp. I don't think we're no, going to talk about that. Good. That's a, a classic no. movie. The Year of Living Dangerously. Airplane 2. Now, if Airplane came out this year, it would have to be, I think, on both of our top 10 lists. But it's the sequel, again. So, similar to yeah, Mad Max. Not this year, but this year of 1982. Oh, 1982. Yes, about. exactly. That would be weird. Yeah. And then Das Boot. Das Boot, The Boat. Wolfgang Peterson's big breakthrough film. Again, a classic. Uh, he just passed away, I think, recently, Wolfgang Peterson. So I haven't movie. seen Das Boot, a source of great shame for me. I've never seen it. Well, another movie I didn't see this year, but it was supposed to be amazing, is The Verdict with Paul Newman. Apparently, it's a great movie. Never saw it. So, again, these are just I'm ones... I'm sure it's an acting masterclass. Yeah. ...that we're not talking about. And then another one, okay. So, this one, if I didn't include this, my wife and kids would get so upset. It's Annie, right? The film version of the <laughs> musical. Yeah. They love it. Listen, Carol Burnett is in it, playing Miss Hannigan. She did a phenomenal job. The little girl yeah. whose name, I forget, who plays Annie was great. It's a lot of fun. You know, we know all the songs in our family because of that. Like, my well, my wife watched this a million times. But I have a feeling Ali's going to bring up a point about uh, this movie. You know, when you have, like, young kids who you know, nieces, uh, perhaps, who love to sing that Annie song, it just, it ruins it. I just found the original kind of annoying, and then there was a lot of kids who did, you know, their versions of that song, which only made it more annoying. So when I think of Annie, I think annoying, and therefore it could not be on the list. But yeah, a great movie in many ways, but I, I can't I can't speak. And then, of course, they did a remake with Jamie Foxx. Then they did a, a live musical that was on NBC, which we watched with the family. So that's all fun. Interesting in the remakes and the live musical, they didn't include the character of Punjab. I thought you were going to point out Punjab. <sighs> Another he issue. Is the, I yeah. think he's the, is he the chauffeur. He's the Butler, I'm not quite sure what his role was, but he is able to, of course, levitate objects, you know, with his Asian powers. I mean, more reason not to talk about Annie. And yet here we are talking about it more than I might talk about. Yes. Any other okay. movie here. So let's start at the bottom of our list. We'll work our way up to our favorite movie of 1982. So Ali, why don't you start off with the lowest one on your list? Okay. If we're going to start with lowest, I think I'm, I'm going to say Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I would have been 10 when I watched this, maybe 11. Oh, wow. Yeah, depending. So, you know, for me, it was like, first of all, Sean Penn, he's magic on camera. To me, he always has been. He's Even as he's aged, the wrinkles in his face, all of it, it just continues to be so camera friendly and engaging. And he ta he's talked about in interviews how, you know, his father, I believe, was a director. So, he was like trying to film stuff as a young kid and like, you know, they would have to film like after all the schoolwork was done. So it's like 8 PM and they're like asking other kids, come film something with us. And other parents were like, no, who are these weird kids who are trying to film something late at night on a weekday? No, you can't go hang out with those. But from an early age, Sean Penn was sort of an actor. He would perform, he would write these little sketches or scenes and he would direct and so this is early, early Sean Penn, who had had all those experiences as a kid. You wouldn't know it at all. And later, when you look back on it with another lens, you know, I've watched this probably again in the last 10 years. I felt like it still stood up for me just because of how much I loved him. He's this 
pot smoking dude, I knew nothing about weed. I knew nothing about sex. And it was a lot of like, it was like Judy Bloom book on steroids for me, if you'll allow it. Yeah, it's not on my list, but I mean, it's definitely a seminal movie. And, you know, it, it marked Cameron Crowe kind of. Yes. How could I not mention Big uh, success Crow? for him. So, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It's not on my list, but it, it could very well be. So I'll do a little caveat as well for, as Ali did with his list, the bottom five on mine are not the movies. A, I haven't watched a lot of these movies in years. You've probably watched more of your favorite movies on your list more recently, but some of them I just include because of the, the, again, the seminal nature of, I'm reusing that word again, but how important they are to the history of movies. I hotels more often and I'm, uh, up late oh, and right. they happen yeah. to be on. I think that's the reason. Yeah, and then really, yeah. you'll just finish watching it if you see it on. Yeah, so, and I don't know if people know this about me. I hate rewatching things. I what? hate rewatching movies. That's the best I'll thing. I'll rewatch them with my kids, but I, I hate visiting places I've already been before. So I'm never going to your house again, Dolly. No, I, I, because movies, there's so many movies and there's so many places in the world to visit. I'm just like, I've already been there. I want to do something new. So I'm always about the next thing, not revisiting old things, which is bad. I know because there's, you know, looking at things through an older lens, uh, in theory, a more mature lens is important, but I don't do that. So anyway, as a caveat. And so number 10 is Blade Runner. This is a movie I haven't seen in years. I probably haven't seen it since I was maybe 14 or something like that. And again, it's what we were talking about before, the idea of these movies, Mad Max, Blade Runner, another one I was thinking about, Time Bandits, which came out in 1981. These movies are just the science fiction and futuristic aspects or the fantasy and the time travel and time bandits. It's just they're just so imaginative. And it was really a, a great time for filmmaking at that time, especially in that kind of genre. Blade Runner, it's a classic. Every dystopian thing that's come out afterwards is really either going to be based on Blade Runner or Mad Max, right? Like that, those are the templates for these dystopian futures. So again, Ridley Scott, Harrison Ford, we all know the stories and the replicants. And so I, I, don't know, I, I have Blade Runner at number 10. So what do I do if uh, your list includes things on my list? What do we do there? Yeah, I think huh? you can just now you can, what? <laughs> this is how we're figuring out doing it. Then you mentioned Blade Runner is also on mine. You can either talk it about it now. It is on my or... list. It's higher up. It's higher up. It's closer to number one. And I'll just talk about it afterwards. Sure. But, okay. but more briefly. Huh? Do you like that? Do you like that? I That's like how that. I'm moving. Okay, number nine. Number nine, I would say Conan the Barbarian. I don't even know. It's, I feel like I'm disrespecting it for putting it number nine. It was a movie, you know, now Arnold has become this, oddly, he's more competent uh, than ever. And yet he's become sort of this clown uh, who, you know, we, we look at, it's always like, I'll be back and all that. But we didn't have any of that when Conan the Barbarian came out. We didn't have any jokes to make about Arnold. This was like, you see this man and he was a specimen like you had never seen before. There was no such thing as like, you know, special effects. And, you know, he was clear that he didn't have any extra. That was just his body. And it was insane. And, you know, at, at, it, at its heart, it's this revenge movie. His parents are killed and then he's, you know, let loose to go find the killers. So it's, 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 like, the, it's like a take it kind of a format, you know. So you have to sort of like those. And I, I found out that I did. It had a little bit of comedy, this weird comedy here and there. But the greatest thing about this movie, awesome. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say, I didn't understand a thing this dude said the entire movie. Yeah. I could not understand 
anything. I was like, what is this accent? Who is this guy? It was, it was the most ridiculous. And yet I still loved it, which was, that's kind of insane. It was like watching a foreign film. Dude, there was no closed captioning at the time, right? This is like, how and why did I love this movie? This is, this is like what makes it so yeah, exactly. incredible. Nowadays, they would film. do the insulting thing where they do closed captioning for someone speaking in English, right? Like speaking they would English, have done yeah. that. Well, I would put it on myself. Yeah. Anyway, so it's not on my list. It's just because, again, I recognize the importance of it. Again, it, it heralds a new huge star in the world, which is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Again, it's this fantasy thing. I didn't like it as a kid because I thought it was a bit boring. I couldn't also as well understand what he said. He didn't talk a lot, actually, in the in the movie. And again, I wanted more monsters. We talked about this on a previous episode. I, I wanted more Dungeons and Dragons fantasy type monsters. There's that big snake. That was about it. Conan the Destroyer I liked a bit better. It's a bit more campy, I think, as a movie. And a bit more dialogue in that. But those weren't, weren't my favorite movies, but I totally understand why they're on your list. My number nine is another movie which is heralding a huge new star in its 48 Hours with Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte. The fact that they took a chance on Eddie Murphy on this in this role. He was fresh off Saturday Night Live, and they wanted other more famous actors, and they wanted even more famous actors for the Nick Nolte role. They wanted Clint Eastwood and stuff like that. They wanted some other Richard Pryor and stuff like that for Eddie Murphy's role. But anyway, it's a great movie. It's tons of fun, uh, and it's a good action movie. So uh, 48 Hours is on my list, but again, probably more because it's Eddie Murphy's first major movie. Number eight for me? Is that where we're at? We are. An officer and a gentleman. I can't say it better than Roger Ebert. He called this the best movie about love that I've seen in a long time. And maybe that's because it's not about love as a Hollywood concept, but about love as growth, as learning to accept other people for who and what they are. And did I know that at the time? No. And did I watch this in 1982? Not a chance. But I'm like into Star Wars and wrestling. There's no way I'm watching An Officer and a Gentleman. But I would have watched it in the 90s, early 90s. I would have been around when my father was watching it. There's like some eroticism in it and stuff. There's no way I was sticking around to watch that with my dad as a 10-year-old. But I do remember more than anything, and, and yes, the, 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 the love story is, is beautiful, but for me, that relationship between Louis Gossett Jr. and Richard Gere, for me, that was the most interesting thing about this movie. It was, I, I, I felt physically ill at certain times by what he was making him do and then how Richard Gere would respond. Like, you want me to do... 100 push-ups, I'll do 150, like in the pouring rain. And it was, I don't know, it was, it was, there was an insanity there that somehow I was like, I don't even know if I can say I enjoyed watching it. It really made me sick. But retrospectively, to be like, man, to have a mo movie make you feel, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. feel so much. I, I, this movie and acting, of course, even Deborah Winger's performance, phenomenal. I, I think it has to be in my top 10. Yeah, so a couple of disclosures. It's not in my top 10, and I've never seen the movie. So that is a bit of a blind spot for me. I think I've seen on TV, Ooh. at the very end of the movie, is there like, is he like holding her in his arms and they're walking in the rain or something like that? Is that is that the final scene? I believe so. I think I maybe I've so. seen that on TV, but I certainly haven't watched it. So probably won't comment, though. I, I know Louis Gossett Jr. won the Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars for mm -hmm. that performance. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then my number eight, it's Tron. So it's, this is mainly for what it means, you know, this idea of like computers were taking over, personal computers are coming out in the early 80s, uh, personal video game consoles, arcades. 
and then this idea of Tron. And the special effects now, yeah, if you look back at them, they're a bit silly. They're kind of a combination of animation, but light cycles and the light cycle chases and stuff like that, it just blew my mind back in the day. Did I really understand the movie? Not really. Did it make a lot of sense? <laughs> I'm not quite sure. But again, just for that whole aesthetic of it, I thought it was great. I'm pretty sure I watched the the remake, the, whatever that was, or the Tron Rebirth or whatever it was a couple years ago. But yeah. I don't remember anything about that movie. But I do remember a lot about the the first Tron. So that's on it, again, for what it what it represents. Okay. It represented not a lot for me. So it doesn't crack my, uh, I don't even know if it's in okay. the top 20. Number right. seven. Number seven, and this is difficult to put at number seven. It could be in the top three, but it, as I say, such a such a loaded category. It's Rocky Three. It was written, directed, starring Sylvester Stallone. I think he directed two of them. This was uh, the second one he directed. I don't know what to tell you. We're introduced to Mr. T as Clubber Lang. He does a phenomenal job. He was like, can you remember hating someone as much as you hated a Clubber Lang? He was despicable. I was talking to somebody about this recently. One of the most underrated actors of all time, in my opinion, it, you know, I have to agree, is Carl Weathers. You know, this guy showed up, you know, ex-football player, showed up in incredible shape when we met him in number two, super handsome. And like Sylvester Stallone just looked like an awful, like abused child who'd been thrown out in the trash compared to Carl Weathers. But Carl also, the acting was so amazing, so compelling on screen. And we're not even touching his Arrested Development performances. I mean, that's a whole other thing. I, I think he's very underrated as an actor. Uh, Hulk Hogan was in this, so that, of course, excited me. Also, you know, Adrian, who was like all the jokes, like, Adrian, and, and she had no kind of arc, really, in, in number one. and number two, I found she was just like a, a pestering person in the background, which was kind of annoying. I think in three, she definitely is much more supportive and encouraging and, and, and comes into her own as a character. Yeah, I don't know. He, you know. he loses his manager. He loses everything. And Carl Weathers coaching him back, Apollo coaching him back, all those training sequences. So good. And then from a trivia perspective, that's the same year he made Rocky three, as I say, Acting, writing, directing. He also starred in First Blood, right? His uh, so he was like, just like, just kudos to Sylvester Stallone and this thing that they created. I, I mean, I would watch Rocky Three again right now. Yeah, it's going to come up later for me, and so I'll just say I love that movie. We'll talk about it in a second. But Ali, just to correct you, Apollo Creed was in Rocky, like the first Rocky too. He's in the first two movies. Oh, of course he was. Of course he was. That's right. Okay, so number seven for me is. John Carpenter's The Thing. A lot has been written about this movie online, how it was panned by the critics. It was a huge failure. And now when you look back on it, it's a huge success. I think people thought it was a uh, alien kind of ripoff, but it was, you know, the whole conceit is that this thing in this frozen wasteland can take the form of other people. They don't know who to trust. And of course, the creature, when it reveals itself kind of at the end and kind of all these mangled parts together, it's it's a classic. So it's, again, for what it represents for that genre, that kind of horror fantasy genre, I think the thing is is has to be on my list. Pretty good. Pretty good. Not on my list, but pretty good. Agreed. Agreed. Six. Now we get into acting, basically. Now, it's still a little bit of like things that made me feel a certain way, but I found Tootsie. I, I got to put Tootsie here at six. I just thought all I could think of that entire movie, it entertained me on two different levels. Number one, the actual script and story were so 
great. But also, I couldn't help thinking the entire time about Dustin Hoffman's, you know, choices and work and time in a, you know, what, what, what business does a young kid, a young teen, probably when I watched it, have thinking about somebody in a makeup chair and all this kind of stuff. But I couldn't stop thinking about like this guy has had all this stuff done and the way he's walking and how awkward it is. Like they must have made the dry, dry. he must have been like, make it tighter, make it tighter. I need to be uncomfortable and putting on all that makeup and, and, and walking in heels. I mean, it was, it affected me on two different levels. You know, the, the, the story was great. And I would say the acting was fantastic, but then also part of that acting was like, this is crazy what this actor is putting themselves through to make a point at the time, you know, like how women get treated for better or for worse. So I, I just thought the commentary of the film was also so great. So I, I just can't say enough good things about Tootsie. Yeah, it's not on my list, but it very well could be. I watched Tootsie as well as you said, not when it came out in 82. I saw it maybe 10 years later. And I just thought before I saw it, oh, this is like Bosom Buddies. Remember the TV show with Tom Hanks? Like, oh, these guys pretending to be women and and it's all... But it's a great movie. It's poignant. It's funny. It's it's so well written and so well acted. It just surprised me so much how good it was. I'm like, I can't believe I just kind of dismissed this as some, you know, you think it's like Mrs. Doubtfire basically, right? But it's not. It's much better. So it's not on my list, but but it very well could be. So number six for me is, I know it's on your list for sure, and it's Gandhi. So Richard Attenborough's Gandhi won Best Picture that year, won Best Actor, Best Director. It basically swept the Oscars that year. It's a great movie. My parents felt so strongly about this. Maybe your parents did too. They took me to see it in the movie theater when I was eight. Same. Buddy, I feel like we went together. We could have gone together. It's I quite possible. I think we went together. I think it was a Doja Hassan I think it might, uh, collab. Oh, it, you know, it probably yeah. was because... I was living overseas at the time, so it had to be in North America that we saw it. And I think we all went to Montreal. I think we all went in Montreal. I definitely fell asleep in the movie as a kid. Yes, I remember this, dude. I remember this. We did go together, and I do remember you falling asleep. And it was a very long movie. There's no doubt about that. I don't think as a kid we'd seen anything that long. I mean, you know, of course, I've revisited it since. It's just a great movie. The scene of him being thrown off the train at the beginning, that I remember from being a kid and just being like shocked, like, what is this? What is going on? And it kind of sets the stage for what drove Gandhi on his journey afterwards. So, yeah, definitely on my list. It's a classic. Is it higher on your list or is it? Yeah, it's higher. I'm at number five. Gandhi's coming. Next on my list, I'm going to say Diner. Okay, Barry Levinson's debut. He was the director of Diner. Barry Levinson did Rain Man, Good Morning Vietnam, award-winning director. This is one of those movies where it's like, you're not even sure as a young person what you're connecting to here. So it's this actor's, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a complete like masterclass showcase. Maybe masterclass is too strong because I, you know, I wasn't watching it for the acting, but the characters, you know, so there's Mickey Rourke, Tim Daly, Kevin Bacon, Paul Reiser, Daniel Stern, Steve Gutenberg, Ellen Barkin plays Daniel Stern's wife. And these buddies, you know, they're post high school. I would have watched this in high school. I would have watched it again since. But I remember liking it, even though, you know, one of them's getting married. I know nothing about marriage. One of them, you know, Mickey Rourke played this hairdresser who was going to law school at night. I knew nothing about those worlds. Somebody has a girlfriend who's pregnant. Somebody is like, you know, on a self-destruction, alcoholic binge, Kevin Bacon's character. I don't know why it was so compelling, but I just loved it. It was like this buddy movie, but so much better than just 
your average buddy movie. It did get an Oscar nomination at the, the Academy Awards, and I just feel like I'd watch this again today just to watch actors' choices and just to see that story. And I just remember it being so, so well done. Yeah, it's not on my list because I haven't seen the full movie. I've certainly seen clips of of the actors all sitting around, you know, doing their the scenes together in the diner. I've seen those. I have not seen the full movie. So it's a bit of a blind spot for me, but I will not say anything more about it because I haven't seen it. My number five is First Blood. So as you can see, there's a trend in movies that I like. If I have a preconceived expectation of a movie and it exceeds that or changes that slightly, those are movies I end up really liking because they surprise me. And I love being surprised in movies. So First Blood did that. I saw First Blood after Rambo Part 2, which is him, you know, being this uh, POW and and attacking all these people. And it's basically like a, a dumb action movie. And I expected First Blood to be like that. Again, I watched it on on VHS back in the day with my friends. I'm like, mm. oh my gosh, this is a commentary on Vietnam vets coming back and basically being shunned by society because the Vietnam War was a very unpopular war. And these guys came back and, and kind of were criticized for participating. We're not celebrated as heroes, yeah. And it, which was so unfair because that's certainly not what happened at, at the end of World War II, for example. And to see, and he's just kind of trying to go to the small town, reconnect with a friend, his friend's not there, and he just gets harassed. And then he... <laughs> basically loses it and has this big, uh, you know, conflict with the local police. And then the kind of, I think the state police get involved and I don't know, it's, it's a great action movie. Uh, and I think it's trying to say something about these Vietnam vets. So I was so surprised by it. And it's one of Sylvester Sloan's best performances other than in the first Rocky, I would, I would say. So yeah, it's on my list for sure. Good choice. Not on my list, but great choice. Four. Four is Sophie's Choice. Speaking of choices, what a segue. I can't say enough good things about Meryl Streep, but I still think that that is the greatest performance she's ever delivered. I think carrying that accent a certain time, and then I think she's speaking either Polish or German for a while, and it, you know, I don't know either of those languages, but it sounded, you know, apparently it was flawless, you know, the way she was speaking, very convincing anyway. I really thought, you know, because it's like, she spends so much of that movie in in pain and grief, crying, but it's never too much, and you're never tired of it. You're never, I don't know, it's this fine line she walked, and the fact that Kevin Klein was not overshadowed says a lot about him. By one of the greatest performances I've ever seen, Kevin Klein's good, Peter McNichol, fantastic as well. It's an introduction to this idea of bipolar syndrome, I knew nothing about it. And Kevin Klein was bipolar. I don't know. It was heartbreaking. And I remember being just drenched in tears after watching this film. And I loved it. I felt like I should have been like, oh, what a stupid movie. It made me cry. Dumb movie. <laughs> and it was the exact opposite. I was like, what a journey I just went on with these people. Truly one of the best acting performances from all, the, all these people. And great story, great movie. So people listening to the podcast are going to be like, I think I figured out why Asaf can watch so many movies because he has so many blind spots of classic movies he hasn't oh seen. And this, this is, is awful. And this is another one of them. Buddy, I, I, again, the... I know the movie. I've seen clips of the performances. I know the choice, the titular choice that she has to make in the movie, but I've never watched it in full. So my apologies. I'm sure it would be on my list if it was. Yikes. Yikes, indeed. So my number four, if you want to talk about completely different movies, is Poltergeist. So mm -hmm. 
This movie, again, I did not watch in 82. It seemed too scary. I watched it years later, and I actually couldn't, and it still sticks with me how good this movie is. The various scenes in it. We all know about the girl being sucked into the TV. But the big scene that I still think about to this day is, you know, there's the old, the older brother who has his, his room, and there's a big tree outside his room that ends up kind of coming through the window and attacking him. But the, his parents say, you know, he kind of, he's kind of scared of storms, right? And they're like, well, you can count the seconds between the thunder. And if that length of time is increasing, the storm's going away. But if it's decreasing, it's coming closer. So he's counting in between them. And they keep getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. And then when, when there's like no time in between them, that's when his window smashes and the tree tries to kind of attack him and, and grab him. So many amazing scenes, them going through the closet and coming out the, I think it was the, the living room ceiling. And then of course, at the very end, when they realize that the, the, the house, sorry for the spoiler for a movie that's 40 years old, is built on mm. this graveyard that they were never told about and and, and all the, the bodies in the graveyard. I remember watching and thinking, oh my gosh, did Steven Spielberg direct this? Because he, it says he didn't, but it's such a Spielberg-type movie, uh, just a bit more on the horror end of things. There's a whole thing you guys can read read online. Toby Hooper was the actual credited director, but Steven Spielberg had a lot of involvement uh, on this movie, and he was apparently on set a lot. And so the question is, who really directed it? And again, you can read essays about that. But anyway, Poltergeist, one of the best you know horror genre-type movies I've ever seen in my life. An early memory I have is going to Asif's house as a kid, and we'd watch horror movies, and his older sister, Sophie, would wrap herself entirely in a blanket or quilt and have the tiniest hole just peeking out of the blanket, and that's how she would watch horror movies. And she'd be like, I'm watching, I'm watching, but she needed to have that blanket ready to close at any moment. And Asif would watch, yeah, well, you would watch, you were a younger brother, and you would be uncomfortable. And then at some point, your mother or father would come in and be like, do you want to come with me? Do you want to leave? And then you just split. I was about to say that. I would always leave. I would never watch. You would I always would leave. probably watch 15 minutes and then I get too scared. I would leave. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what happened. Yeah, you were absent and your sister was covered in a pile of blankets. Yeah, that that's is my memory of true watching story. horror movies True story. Okay, yeah. number three for you. Blade Runner. You mentioned it earlier. I did not appreciate this movie when I first saw it. I thought it was like the slowest paced movie ever. I'm like, why is it always raining? You get a little older, you go, oh, these are stylistic choices. This is like film noir stuff. This is like, it's raining and wet. This creates like this world. This creates this constant level of like struggle and discomfort when you're always wet and it's constantly raining and yeah i mean you 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 know we, as you'd said we, we it's another one that has some commentary through it about these you know global conglomerates and then mm -hmm. environmental decay and oh you know uh, what do you call it overpopulation poverty these kind of things and so when you watch it later and you should watch the final cut if you're going to go back and watch uh, the 82 version you should watch the one called blade runner final cut because it doesn't have Harrison Ford's narration. And I think that was a little bit better. Yeah, I, I just, going back, I and of course, it's it's Ridley Scott, man. Ridley Scott, is it's got to be one of my absolute favorite directors of all time. The Gladiator, one of the best movies I've ever seen. He's done so many things. I don't know, Black Hawk Down, you know. Uh, Alien. Thelma and Louise, he even does comedies and stuff like this. Alien is his, yeah, a lot of, lot of different stuff. His, yeah, his he body of work is insane. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And it's great, as we talked about. In fact, what I want to do is I want to watch that final cut and then watch the new Blade Runner, which I haven't seen yet, the Denny Villeneuve one. From do it, man. Let's ago. do it together. Yeah, let's Come do on. That. Yeah, we have four hours to kill. Okay, actually, we should do that and then do a podcast about it. Do a rewatch and then do that. The first five minutes will be about how our wives absolutely hate us. That's right. And, and the uh, kids complaining. That is yeah. what it is. Number three for me is Rocky Three, which you had earlier on on your list. I love this movie so much. I've seen it so much. Again, now we're getting to movies I've seen multiple times, many, many times. I love the movie. I remember watching it on VHS a couple of years after it came out for the first time. You know, we have Hulk Hogan. People forget him at the beginning, right? It's a wrestler versus a boxer in the first scene of the movie. Yeah. You have the first exposure to him, let his career take off. First exposure to Mr. T. Again, Mr. T was like, after this and the A-team, I had Mr. T pajamas. I had Mr. T action figures. All, I was all in on Mr. T. This movie is great. I love the arc of him, uh, you know, getting really too big for his britches, not preparing for the fight properly with Clubber Lang. Yeah. Getting down on his luck and then working his way back up. It's like life lessons, too. It's like life lessons. And with his arch enemy, now his coach. And then the final scene where they decide to spar in the ring and they're each taking a shot at each other and then it freezes there, right? Like, I, I, lo- I love that scene. So it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And so, yeah, number three for me. Number two for you. E.T., E.T., buddy, phone home. And I know yours, it's got to be coming for you. It's got to be coming for you. So I will let you talk a little bit more length about it. But it was my introduction to Steven Spielberg as a human being. I'm sure I watched things that he was involved in but didn't know. This time it was such a Spielberg vehicle that we were told about this. And it helped me appreciate the idea of like, oh, the director is an important person. I had no idea about that. It was very touching. It was so well acted. That kid to this day remains one of the best child actors I've ever seen. And yeah, man, it was just a, it was a movie that spoke to our time. And I, you know, when, when the bicycle goes up into the air, I should have been being the cynic that I am. And that I was, I should have been like, well, that's stupid. Bikes don't fly. But of course I've just spent the whole movie, you know, with an alien. So this was a lesson in suspension of belief or suspension of disbelief, I guess is what it's called. And yeah, I I think I learned a little bit about myself watching that movie too. So anyway, wonderful, wonderful movie. What's your number two? Number two is Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan. So this is, does it come later for you? No. No, it doesn't come on my list, buddy. I know you're upset about that. I'm sorry. This is embarrassing. Star Trek 2 is just, it's a great movie. You know, Star Trek, the motion picture was a bit cerebral, not that well received. Then this one comes out. Again, it's this exciting movie. They actually went back to the TV show and pulled out this character, Khan Noonan Singh, and you know, and his quest for revenge because, you know, he was supposed to have been dropped off on this planet to live his life. And that planet, you know, for various reasons, turned out to be a, quite a big disaster. And so he wants revenge on Kirk. So it's a great action movie. And of course, it has, again, this is a big spoiler, the death of Spock in it, which at the end of that movie, you thought, this is it. Like, he sacrificed himself at the final scene of it. So fantastic movie, probably the best Star Trek movie that's been made. And yep, has to be number two on my list for that reason. Number one. I'm filled with regret that it's not in my top 10. I should have done it. Because also, you know, I've been thinking about this movie because the Star Trek Strange New Worlds episode that I was on, you know, uh, I've been watching that series. It's Lan Noonan Singh, right? Like, and I was thinking about, and yeah, so I, anyway, it should have been on my top 10 
oversight. It got squeezed out yeah. by a bunch of other yeah. stuff. Ali is even, he's shared his screen with a Noonan Singh and yet. Yes, yeah. Not exactly. I've shared a screen. Share, yes, share that a, episode. A How about that? I'm going to edit yeah, that yeah. part out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Number one is Gandhi for me. Despite the fact that you fell asleep, mm-hmm. or maybe because you fell asleep, I was like, this kid doesn't get it. But me, as an older, more mature guy, I like it. I was introduced to a lot of things about my own background and heritage and ancestry via this movie. I was introduced to the idea of colonialism, something I knew nothing about prior to being 10 years old. I, this whole world just opened up, you know, racism against brown people. I think I've told you growing up in Quebec, it was a lot of like Anglo versus Francophone, right? That was the whole thing. And there wasn't a lot of like, go back to your country yet, yet. The best was yet to come. But at that age, I didn't know anything about this and seeing the discrimination that he felt and seeing how that propelled him, that rage at the injustice. There was something incredible about that. And of course, dude, what Ben Kingsley did to his body to become Gandhi. Mm-hmm. The hunger strike at the I mean, end of the movie. Yeah. And he looks like a man who was on a hunger. I mean, what that guy did, like Ben Kingsley can do anything horrific in this world, not as a human being. I mean, as an actor, he can make the worst movie choices. But I'll always remember him for Gandhi. I mean, I just, I'll always view him like what you did to your body and how you committed to that role is just one of the most phenomenal things I've ever, ever seen. And as I'm talking about this, I feel like I should do a two-parter with my children. Two-parter just for, you know, risk of them falling asleep. But mm-hmm. I, I think we should watch that as a family. Well, I was just thinking about this. We should do that. Now, now it's going to be several nights because we should also... My, I haven't watched E.T. with my kids, and E.T. is my number one movie. And I want to watch it with them. It's 40 years ago. I think it's a perfect time, like this year, to do it. So E.T., again, it kind of goes to everything I was saying before. So as I said, I like being surprised. And I think I've told the story in the podcast before, but I was visiting Ali and his family and we wanted to go see a movie. My dad was going to take us to a movie. And I wanted to go see the re-release of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And my sister wanted to go see Kenny Rogers in Six Pack. And Ali was pretty easygoing. He didn't really care what we did. And so, but of course, me and my sister were arguing about what to do. So my dad said, listen, this E.T. movie is supposed to be good. It's getting really good reviews. Why don't we just go see that? I think Ali was like, yeah, that sounds good. So, you know, we're staying at Ali's house. Let's just, all the four of us go to that movie. And I didn't know what it was about. I thought it was like a horror movie because I know that I'd seen Close Encounters before. It's very ominous and scary before E.T. appears. If you rewatch the movie, you're like, oh, my gosh, this is like, what is this? What's going on? And then you realize it's like a friendly alien and then he gets sick and the government's coming. I mean, it just takes you through all these emotions. It's just such a superbly made movie. So definitely I want to rewatch it with the kids. So maybe when Ali's over, we'll watch it with all the kids and make them watch Gandhi as well. But Make them. I like them. Yeah. E.T., it's interesting. He thought about doing a sequel about E.T. on his planet. And then Steven Spielberg was just like, I can't do that. Like, this is a, a single movie. It's a seminal movie, again, third time of me using that word, and he's going to leave it at that. So, number one on my list. So, anyway, curious to what our listeners think about 1982 movies. Let us know what you guys think. Send us a message, an email, a tweet, DM. Let us know what you think. And why don't we move into the next section there, Ali? This subject of meat allergy is particularly of interest to me because I have been 
hearing, and of course, anecdotal, anecdotal, yes, nothing with the evidence, but stories about people in Pakistan, people I know, people who I'm close to or one degree separated from, getting reactions to meet their particularly chicken. And it's happened since chicken started becoming mass-produced. And people are not used to mass-produced chicken. And now doctors will give the advice like, oh, you can't get, I can't get pregnant, can't get pregnant, give up chicken. And this is like horrifying to a Pakistani. Like I eat chicken four times a day. What do you, what do you mean? Um, give up, right? People have these weird twitches. People have these other strange things. And it's like the first, give up chicken. Let's see what happens then. And then we'll go in, you know, investigate further. So from that perspective, I was really interested, you know, the meat we eat today is not the meat we ate 20 years ago or 30 years ago. So what people are allergic to, I almost suspect it's something other than meat itself and more of the processing of the meat. But I'm kind of excited to hear about this. And I left it off my radar on purpose so we could have a discussion about this. So tell me what this meat allergy is and where it's showing up. Yes. And, and again, like it's important for us to separate kind of what's kind of the average person is kind of talking about, the layperson is talking about versus what we know in terms of evidence, right? So I'll try and kind of address what you were saying. Symptoms is basically within a few hours of ingesting meat, usually three to six hours, you would develop allergy type and symptoms. what kind of meat are we talking so about? So mammalian meat, okay? So- Are chickens mammals? No, no. they're not. <laughs> Hell. Oh my God. So, just wanted a reaction. So this is the first thing. I'm not talking about whatever you're talking about, the poultry. We can maybe do another episode on that poultry allergy, not having children because of it. I don't know anything about that. So, we're talking about mammalian meat. Okay. So, you know, your squirrels, your beavers, typical muskrat, you know, typical stuff we eat here in Canada. No, we don't. I'm just joking to our international listeners. Mainly, we're talking beef, lamb, etc. Okay, so anyway, three to six hours after ingesting this, you get whole body itching, hives, swelling. There are some people who just have kind of a GI form, a gastrointestinal form, so they'll have diarrhea and vomiting. But you can even get anaphylaxis, like you would to, like, say, penicillin, oh, wow. you know, a bee sting or something like that. So it's a very interesting story about how this came about. So if you look back to like 2007, there were some researchers in the US who are looking at an antibody, a monoclonal antibody to treat rectal cancer, colorectal cancer. It was called cetuximab. But they were seeing all these severe rates of allergic reactions to it. So one in five people had full-on anaphylactic shock. But that was only in the US because when they looked at the drug in other places, nobody had that reaction. So then they're trying to figure out what happened with that. And some people would get an allergic reaction the first time they got the medicine, which isn't what happens, right? Because you need to be sensitized to a medicine or an allergen in order to develop a reaction, right? If you've never been exposed to it. So they weren't really sure. So then they thought maybe it was the sugar molecules that are attached to the antibody when they're manufacturing it. And basically when they tested people to see if they had a allergic reaction when they removed the sugar, they didn't. So they figured out it was this sugar molecule that was attached to it called alpha-gal. Mammals produce alpha-gal naturally, but humans and other primates don't. They lost that ability like about 28 million years ago. So basically, this is a problem. And in fact, researchers knew this because one of the barriers to transplanting, why can't we just transplant like a pig heart into a human or a cow heart into a human. 
And it's not just because of the size they have the cow heart. It's because humans will produce antibodies against this alpha gal because they've eaten meat before. So anyway, they, they figured out that this this was the problem with that. So that was the first kind of clue. Okay, so alpha gal was kind of maybe related to this. A couple of years later, basically, then another researcher in the U.S. found that people who had these allergic reactions to meat had these alpha gal antibodies to alpha gal. So then he's like trying to establish this correlation that yes, in fact, you can develop an allergy to meat after being exposed to it. But then people wondered if there was an association between tick bites and meat allergy. So one of the things you may have heard, and I've heard people ask me this too, they're like, oh, I heard Lyme disease can cause an allergy to meat. So it's not quite, it's a different kind of tick that causes Lyme disease that causes this because a group in Australia found that people who had these tick bites developed meat allergies. So somehow, and we're not quite clear about this, the tick bites a person and introduces alpha-gal to your immune system. And that leads to the development of the allergy. But exactly how that happens, people are unclear about. And in the US, it's called the Lone Star Tick because it's most common in Texas. The Lone Star State. Exactly. So it's actually, the tick is actually found in the East and Central US, even as far as New York. So basically, somehow this tick introduces this alpha gal into your body, and then you develop this allergic reaction to it. To develop an allergy, you need to have what's called an IgE-mediated reaction. So then you develop these antibodies, and then you will get these allergic reactions to it. Dude, you said people don't know, but what you really mean is like the medical community doesn't know when you say people, but do they have some theory? (laughs) That's a good point. I mean, there are some theories as to what happens, why this tick does this. So... They think that when you get bitten by the tick, you'll start to produce these antibodies to alpha-gal, maybe over a month or two, but that may not be enough to notice a reaction. But if during that time where you've developed these antibodies, you happen to eat a lot of meat, so you go to the Korean barbecue, you know, and you eat a huge quantity of meat, during that time that you've been exposed to this tick, and it's kind of primed your your immune system, then that cumulative effect may be enough to provoke an allergic response in somebody. So that's kind of the theory about what happens. I'm just thinking about Lyme disease, how there's no, like, solid treatment? Is there a proven treatment for this or is it all well, too new? Well, first of all, there is a treatment for Lyme disease. We treat it with antibiotics, but... But listen, people will have, like, for a year later, they still have the after effects of Lyme disease, Yeah, right? yeah, there's a whole... Sorry, there's, when there's, I say that, proven, I mean, no, I know. Uh, like, the way an antibiotic just yeah, shuts things yeah, down. Yeah, there's a whole later, um, episode, I'm sure, about Lyme disease. Very controversial topic. But you're right, the acute phase of Lyme disease you can treat with antibiotics. I mean, I just saw, like... Two weeks ago, there was like two kids admitted to the hospital with the Lyme disease. So it's it's not uncommon in, in Ontario, but probably now that you mention it, we will have to do a full episode on it. But basically, for these patients, there's no treatment other than you treat the anaphylaxis and the reaction, and you have to avoid meat. But you can often get people back onto meat in a couple of years. But the key is to avoid more tick bites, because... What happens, you get the tick bite, and then your immune response goes up, and then it will slowly go back down, as long as you don't have any more tick bites, because more tick bites will send the antibody levels back up again, and then you'll have this prolonged allergy. So really just making sure you don't get bitten by a tick. So 
wearing long clothing when you're walking in tall grass, you know, wearing repellents and things like that. That's what they would recommend to these people, because if you can avoid getting bitten by any more ticks, you will eventually outgrow the allergy after a couple of years. Years? Jeez. But how common is this? Like, I don't think you've really mentioned... How many people is this happening to in a year, let's say? It affects more than 5,000 people in the U.S. and is a leading cause of anaphylaxis in the southeastern part of the country. No, yeah. more than like peanuts even? No, example? probably like, probably like after I probably, I, again, I don't know, I would guess, after probably peanuts and nuts and legumes and, um, shellfish. and shellfish and probably bee and wasp stings, it's probably after that. So one final interesting thing, you were asking what we can do about it. Well, the question is, is it possible to genetically modify animals to not produce alpha-gal? And so they did in 2020, the FDA in the U.S. approved genetic modification of pigs so they don't produce alpha-gal. So you're probably thinking, oh, okay, well, that's so people can eat bacon and pork chops and things like that who have the allergy and it's called the trademark name is gal safe so you can you know it can be eaten by people with the alpha gal allergy but there's another reason for making that and so you could actually look into organ transplantation right because now they don't oh, have wow. the alpha gal no, that you, you so so, that. so even though it sounds yeah. like it's quite a niche market for the people with this meat allergy it's really for the idea that you can do what's called xeno transplantation so transplanting organs from another Animal. species into humans. Yeah. And so now that you've wow. gotten rid of the alpha-gal, it might be possible. See? See? Yeah, this has nothing to do with my chicken theories off the bat. I thought I was for sure going to hear about steroids in the animals. I was going to hear about, you know, whatever. I, was, I thought I was going to hear about genetic modification earlier on not at the end when how this is going to help. Yeah, and it's respect. actually a good thing, question mark, with the genetic modification. Well, you uh, this is, you put uh, allergy to meat and you put a question mark on it. So I was I was like, why are you suspicious of this? Yeah. No, it's just such a strange thing. I didn't even believe it when I first heard about it. And then you read about it, like, oh, there is something here. Very interesting. And again, like ticks involved, not Lyme disease. But you still got to avoid those ticks, Ellie, if you want to eat your steaks and hot dogs. So that's our show for today. Let us know what you guys thought, especially about the 1982 movies. What was your favorite movie from 1982? Reach out to us at drvcomedian at gmail.com. We're also on social media, drvcomedian on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are everywhere. Ali's uh, book is out now. Mm -hmm. Is there bacon in heaven? Speaking of the pigs that you mentioned earlier. Yes. Pretty good segue. Is there bacon in heaven? is out with uh, Simon & Schuster right now. You can get it anywhere you find books, online or in person. And yeah, do write to us. And, and don't hesitate to tell us that Asif made some wrong choices in his top 10 list, The Thing. I don't know about that. And I would love to hear from you. We always love hearing from you. Uh, thank you for listening. But remember that although I'm a doctor... Oh, yes. We have to remember this. I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only, and they're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.